Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you would, get your Bibles out and open them up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy, the third chapter. We're going to be in that passage primarily this morning. And so if you'll just get your Bible and park at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to give our attention to the Word of God for these next few minutes. As you're turning there, let me just echo the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody this Lord's Day morning. We have a number of guests with us today, and we're uh, excited and delighted to have you here with us. Uh, Happy New Year to you. You know, if 2020 was indeed the dumpster fire that Seth talked about in his invitation Wednesday night, then it does seem as if we've all been able to escape that dumpster with just minor uh, burns, and we're relatively unscathed. I'm glad to be able to be here with you this day and looking forward to the good things that the Lord has for us in 2021. Hope you got your Bible ready in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's read together in verse 16. In 2 Timothy 3 and in verse 16, there the Bible says, this is Paul as he writes to his young brother Timothy, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, Do you know what a decision tree is? Have you ever seen a decision tree? Uh, A decision tree is just a flow chart that presents a series of yes and no questions to help a person arrive at a conclusion for a particular decision that they are facing. Picture's worth a thousand words, and so, for example, here is a decision tree for determining whether or not you should drink milk that has passed the expiration date. And so the first question is, has the expiration date passed? If the answer is no, then hey, it's not spoiled and you can drink it. If the expiration date has passed, then you move right on to the next question. And the next question is, well, is the expiration date more than three days ago? Again, if the answer to that is no, well then, hey, it's safe to drink it. But if the answer is yes, it is more than three days past the expiration date, then that leads to that last question, and that is, does it smell funny? Because the fact of the matter is, if it smells funny, you shouldn't drink that. In fact, that's probably just a pretty good rule for life. If it smells funny, don't put that in your mouth. I think that's a pretty helpful decision tree. Here's a handy little decision tree for folks like myself, folks who are novices when it comes to engineering, that if you've got something in your house that should be moving, and maybe it's not moving, then WD-40 will solve your problems. And if you've got something in your house that should not be moving, but it is, then duct tape will remedy that lots of times. That's that's really handy for not-so-handy men like myself. Probably my favorite and probably the most accurate decision tree that I've ever came across is this one here regarding cats. This is how cats make all of their decisions. Is this something for me? Yes, then I don't want it. But if it's not for me, then that's exactly what I want. My experience with cats is that that is remarkably accurate with how cats go about making decisions. Well, of course, all of those decision trees, they are humorous and maybe even have some degree of merit to each of them. But really what I want to know this morning is, is what if I could share with you a decision tree that is of much greater significance and consequence than any other? What if I could share with you a series of questions that would lead us to making some important decisions that will ultimately end up affecting our soul, our eternal spiritual side of our personhood? I believe that what we're looking at here in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, 
is in fact a decision tree about the Bible. Scripture, as Paul refers to it in verse 16. This passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is very familiar to many of us. But I wonder if we have ever taken the time to kind of just walk through it and just notice all of the decisions that it is calling upon us to make. Because how we respond to the decisions, the choices that this passage sets before us, they determine not only how we think about the Bible, but they determine how we think about God Himself. And so, as we are beginning a brand new year, and as lots of folks are making lots of decisions and resolutions about their involvement with the Scriptures, let's just deconstruct this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And let's identify this morning four big decisions that all of us must make about the Bible. And I must tell you, this is actually the reason that I'm using this decision tree format, I need to tell you there's no wiggle room here. It's either yes or no. There is no middle ground. There's no shades of gray here. It's black, it's white, it's yes, it's no with each and every one of these questions. In fact, in some ways, I think that these four questions probably would be a great place to start when you're studying with somebody. When you're trying to help bring someone to the point of faith, these are questions that every person must decide on. And they're all packed rather neatly for us right here at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 3. That all begins with that opening statement in verse 16 where we're told there that all Scripture is breathed out by God. That statement forces us to ask question number one and that is, is the Bible inspired by God? Yes or no? You need to decide whether you believe that or whether you don't believe that. Now, Paul, of course, here in this passage, he does not go into long, great detail trying to prove the inspiration of Scripture. No, Paul just asserts that that's a fact. He's talking to Timothy, a brother in the Lord, a Christian, and he just assumes that Timothy accepts that as being an absolute fact. He doesn't need to give a long explanation for the inspiration of Scripture. And I'm going to assume that, I don't know, 99% of the people that I'm talking to and who are listening to me right now you probably already accept that as a fact. But you do need to know and you need to understand that there are a number of powerful evidences for the inspiration of the Scriptures. For example, there are a number of archaeological discoveries that have been made that attest to the veracity of the Scriptures. There are a number of scientific proofs, a number of historical proofs that speak to the authenticity of this book. I believe as well the incredible unity of the Bible and the candor of the Bible. I think that really sets it apart as being unique and special and given to us by God. Maybe one of the greatest evidences for the Bible's inspiration are the number of prophecies that are made in the, in the pages of this book concerning future events, all of which came true with 100% accuracy and precision, not the least of which are the hundreds and hundreds of messianic prophecies which are fulfilled, of course, in the person of Jesus. In fact, maybe the greatest proof of all for the inspiration of the Bible is just how Jesus Himself treated the Bible. Jesus believed that the Bible was inspired by God. 
And so if you believe in Jesus, then you also have to believe that the Bible is inspired by God. And while this lesson really isn't designed to go into detail and try to marshal all of those different evidences this morning for the Bible's inspiration, I would just say once again that this right here, this is the beginning point. This is where it starts. All of us need to start right here. Is the Bible just a book or is it God's Word? I need to do the homework on that so that I can arrive at an informed decision to that question. Let me just say right here to parents, to fellow moms and dads, mom and dad, this is our job. This is one of our tasks as parents. That our job is to help our children arrive at the right answer about that question. We need to help our kids to see and to understand and to believe that the Bible is not just a book of great stories, although it does have great stories. And the Bible is not just a collection of great wisdom and advice, even though the Bible does have great wisdom and advice. The Bible is more than that. The Bible is the very voice of God speaking to us across centuries of time, beckoning us to listen to what He has to say. Because the truth of the matter is, the answer to that question, if the answer to that question is no, that the Bible is not inspired by God, it's not delivered to us by God, then you know what we ought to do with the Bible? We ought to throw it away. We ought to get rid of it. If we do not believe that the Bible is God's Word, and in fact if it's not God's Word, we need to trash this book because that means it's evil and it's full of lies and deception. But if it is from God, and I do believe it is from God, then we must pay heed to what it says and we must take it seriously. I believe when we come to that conclusion, when the answer to that first question is a yes, it's inspired by God, then that leads right into that second question from 2 Timothy chapter 3, and that is, is the Bible, is the Bible God's complete and final revelation to man? And so, all right, God's got a message, that's question number one. But is the Bible all that there is? You know, is that all that God has to say to us? Or Or is there maybe more? And that's a very important question, and it's one that we need to to sit with for a moment. Because there are a lot of religious groups today who say that, yes, the Bible is God's Word. It's a really important book, but, but we're also getting more Word as time goes along. The Roman Catholic Church, for example, they believe that there is ongoing revelation from God to the Pope. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society are continuing to reveal additional portions of God's Word. Of course, most cults today have a leader who will say what? They say, hey, God is speaking to me, and He is telling me things, and I am His conduit, and I am now telling those things, delivering those messages to you. In fact, I found that even amongst places where it says Church of Christ on the sign out front, More and more it is becoming common to hear preachers say things like, God laid this on my heart. And So the question is, is is God still doing that today? Is God still speaking in that way? If He is still speaking, then what that means is is that means that the words of every latter-day prophet, whether that be Mohammed or Joseph Smith or even the crazy guy down on the street corner who's hollering through a megaphone, 
that all of their words are all equally valid with what the Bible says. We would have to treat anything that any man who calls himself a prophet, we'd have to treat anything that they offer as a thus saith the Lord and as potentially being the actual Word of God. Can you imagine trying to somehow sort through all of that mess? We can either do that, or we can just take Paul's words in 2 Timothy chapter 3 as being literal. Take them at face value. When Paul says in verse 17, notice again, when he says that Scripture, the Bible, is able to make us complete. Your old translation may say the word perfect there. The idea there is whole, complete and whole. What 2 Timothy 3.17 is affirming to us is that God has revealed His Word and there's no need for more. And in fact, there is no need for us to expect more. Because the Scripture makes us fully capable to serve God complete and without addition because as verse 17 goes on to say, it equips us for every good work. That expression, every good work, carries with it the idea of being able to meet all demands. It is able to qualify one and make one proficient. Which is why if somebody comes along and says, Hey, look, 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 a new book from God. Hey, look, look, look right here. A new message from God. Then what we naturally want to ask in response to that is, well, if the Scriptures make us complete, if the Scriptures are able to meet all of those demands, if the Scripture makes us proficient for every good work, then then what exactly is in your book that isn't in this book? Because this book says that it is all we need. And that means then that all claims of additional revelation are actually assaults on this book. They are actually an attack on this book. Your book is saying that this book is incomplete. Your book is saying that this book isn't enough. Your message that you've got is somehow saying that the message that God has in this book is insufficient. And so which is it? Is God still speaking and providing revelations today? Or is the Bible all that there is? 2 Timothy 3 is driving us to make a decision, isn't it? And when we come to the conclusion that the Bible is it, and I do believe that the Bible is it, that it is God's final word for man, and that it equips us for everything that we need to serve and please the Lord, then that brings us to this third question, and that is... Well, can we understand the Bible? And if the Bible is from God, and if the Bible reveals all of God's will for humankind, then then is it functional? You know, is it of any use to us? Can you use it? Can we understand what it says within its pages? If I were to take my family to the zoo, and while the were there during the course of our visit there at the zoo, a lion breaks out of its cage. And a lion is now on the prowl throughout the park, and that lion is looking specifically for plump little human babies because he wants to eat those plump little human babies. And someone then comes up to us and they say, Hey, there's a lion out there. And this lion is really, really dangerous. And this lion has gotten loose and it's on the prowl and it's really, really hungry. And they tell us that message in French. 
then that message, while it may be true, it isn't going to be of much use to us, isn't it? In fact, that's probably going to be the last message that poor little Gertie is ever going to hear. Because that little message doesn't help us at all because we don't speak French. We don't understand what that person is saying. You see, understandability, that's important, isn't it? And especially if we are talking about a message delivered to us by the God of heaven, the very creator of the universe, He has something to say to us. I mean, can we lowly human creatures, can we understand what the God of infinite wisdom and knowledge is actually saying to us? The sad reality is there are many people who arrive at this third question and they are convinced that the answer to that is, is, is no. No, I, I can't understand the Bible. What I need is I need, a, I need a religious institution to explain this book to me. I need some religious official, a clergyman of some kind, that they can tell me what this means. Maybe I need even as well some kind of supernatural enlightenment if I'm ever going to be able to grasp this message. Would you please look again at verse 16? In verse 16, this scripture that is breathed out by God, Paul says, it is profitable. One translation says, it is useful. If it's profitable, if it's useful, then that means it must be understandable. In fact, it is so understandable, Paul says you can use it for a lot of different things. He says you can use it for teaching. You can use it for reproof. You can use it for correction, to correct what is wrong. In fact, that word correction there is really interesting. It literally means to set straight. Don't you love that idea? The Bible is able to set us straight whenever we get sideways. I need to be set straight. Furthermore, the Bible will train you in righteousness, Paul says. And I would submit to you this morning that the Bible would not be able to do any of those things if it cannot be understood. And yes, I do understand that contextually, when Paul talks to Timothy here about Scripture, what he's talking primarily about is about the Old Testament because those would have been the only Scriptures that would have been available to Timothy at that time. But Paul also in other places will actually throw the blanket of Scripture over, over Peter's writings and over the Gospel writings and in fact over all of those sacred writings that you are now holding in your lap. All 66 of those books, they comprise Scripture and Paul says that all of it, it can be understood and it can be used to make us complete. That means two things here. That means number one, that supernatural enlightenment in order to understand the Bible, that's just not necessary. You know, oftentimes folks get confused when they read some of the promises that Jesus gave to His apostles. I think particularly in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 about the coming of the Holy Spirit. God was going to send His Spirit and He was going to guide those men into all the truth. And sometimes people read those verses today and they think, well, well, well that's what I need apparently. I need the Holy Spirit to come. I need some kind of supernatural heavenly thing to happen on me in a special and unique kind of way so that I can understand the Bible. But if that was true, then why doesn't Paul say anything about that here in 2 Timothy chapter 3? 
I mean, if ever there was going to be a place to say something about how you need supernatural spiritual enlightenment to understand the Bible, 2 Timothy 3 would be the place to do that, wouldn't it? But Paul didn't believe that you needed that. What Paul believed was that ordinary people, people like you, people like me, we could read the Bible and we could understand the Bible and we could get all of those good benefits from the Bible for ourselves. And secondly, if that's not true, if it's not true that you can read and understand the Bible on your own, then what that means is is that means that God has failed. Have you ever thought about that? If we can't understand the Bible, then that means that God is a failure. If God has not communicated to us in a way that we can grasp the important ideas and messages of this book, what sin is, what righteousness is, heaven, hell, Jesus, what Jesus came to do, then that means that God has failed colossally. i got to tell you, it's just really hard for me to imagine that God would go to all of the effort that He has went through in sending His Son and allowing His Son to suffer and to die and raising Him from the dead and all of the other things that God has done in order to author man's salvation. But then somehow in the end, God is incapable of telling us about His plan in an understandable way. It's just hard for me to believe. I find it very hard to believe that the God who had the wisdom and the knowledge to create the universe isn't powerful enough or isn't wise enough, or isn't able enough to deliver us a book that we can all understand. I believe 2 Timothy 3 says that you and I, we can understand the Bible. But the question and the decision before us is, is do we accept that? If we do, if we are convinced that the Bible can be understood, then that would bring us to this fourth and final limb on this decision tree, and that is, will I obey the Bible? You know, to some extent, each of those first three questions are are really kind of uh, mind questions, heart questions. They are decisions that we have to make within ourselves, within our mind. You know, do I believe that the Bible is inspired? Do I believe that it is God's final word? Do I believe that it can be understood? Those are all decisions that we make internally in our heart. But you know what? This fourth and last question is probably the most important of all. Because it is forcing us to make a decision with our actions, with our conduct, with our very lives. I want you to please notice that in 2 Timothy 3, while we have chapter and verse divisions reading this letter, the original recipient of this letter, Timothy, did not have these chapter and verse divisions. And so what is the very next thing that Paul says after he talks about the inspiration of Scripture and after he talks about the completeness of Scripture and about the understandability of Scripture? That would be chapter 4, verse 1, when he says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom, notice this, verse 2, preach the Word. Preach the Word. I regret greatly that chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, have somehow become disconnected from chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Because those verses, they all go together. Paul says that this God-breathed, complete and understandable word, it is a word that must be preached. And the reason it must be preached is because it can and it should change men and women 
so that they will live God's way, so that they will do God's will, so that they will obey the Lord. Paul is not content to just talk about the Bible in some academic, intellectual sort of way where, oh yes, let's, let's research that, and let's study and think about how, yes, the Bible, it is given to us by God. And yes, the Bible is complete. And oh yes, the Bible is very understandable, but then at the end of that, we, we never do anything with it. And somehow we think that, well, oh, because I, because I believe that the Bible is God's Word, and because I do believe it's complete, and because I do believe it can be understood, well, well that in and of itself, that... That makes me good with the Lord. Me and the Lord, all is well with us. No. No, Paul commands that this word is to be preached so that when people hear it, the Bible will provoke us, the Bible will instruct us, it will reprove us, it will correct us, it will train us so that we can become obedient to the very God who gave us His word. And that is why this last question is the most important one of all. Will I obey the living Word of God? Yes or no? That's a decision that each and every one of us has to make. Now, if you've been here at Lakeside for very long, then it's probably going to come as no surprise to you as to what I'm going to say next. Because folks who have been here for a while just already know exactly how Josh is going to conclude this sermon by way of practical takeaway and here's the homework for us and here's what we need to do with this lesson. And you probably are right if you're thinking where I think you're thinking because I am going to add one additional branch on this decision tree and it is this question, will I read the Bible? Because truth of the matter is, you really can't obey the Bible if you're not actually taking the time to read what it says. And so, yes, this is going to be my call for daily Bible reading. And since, not coincidentally, it is the beginning of a brand new year, I have a tool to offer to each and every one of you that I hope will encourage you to be devoted to the reading of God's Word in this new year. In the rack out in the foyer, either there by the water fountain or over by the front door, you will find this, the 2021 Bible reading schedule that we have entitled this year Profiting from the Prophets. This year as a congregation we will have the opportunity to read those books that make up the final third of the Old Testament from Isaiah to Malachi. Now, I say this every year but it does bear repeating and I'm going to say it again. You don't have to use this Bible reading schedule if you don't want to. This is actually the eighth, I think, the eighth consecutive year of producing a Bible reading plan, which means that you've got not only this option, but you've got seven other options to choose from, or maybe you've got your own thing and that's what you're going to do, and that's totally fine as well. But I will say to you that there are some perks to all of us reading the Bible together, reading the same things and doing that on the same schedule. For one, it gives us the opportunity to, to be talking with one another about the Bible. It helps us to be accountable to each other, to, to be consistent in our reading of the Bible. Secondly, the back page of the bulletin, as it has been every year, will be devoted to kind of a running commentary for the chapters that we will be reading that week. Just some additional little tidbits to help you to think about as you're doing that week's reading. 
Uh, furthermore, the Lakeside app, I don't have my phone with me, but if you open up the Lakeside app, if you've got that on your phone, you can find a section on there for the daily Bible reading schedule. In fact, if you were to open it up right now, you will already find the 2021 schedule is on there and all of the readings with a click of a button. You can read the Bible or you can even have it read to you. Anywhere, anytime, sitting in the doctor's office, sitting at the dealership, waiting for the oil to be changed, whatever it is, you can read the Bible. Additionally, I will preach periodically from that week's reading. In fact, I will do that tonight at 6 o'clock as we prepare to talk about and read about that first prophet that we're going to read in the schedule this year. This is, I believe, a rather low-impact reading schedule, just a chapter a day, five days a week. But I will say to you that following a reading plan of some kind, it does provide us with some, some structure, Kind of gives us some knowledge of what we're doing and where we're going. It gives us some accountability. It gives us some motivation so that we can develop the habit of regularly reading the inspired Word of God. But at the end of the day, as with all of those other questions we had on this decision tree, at the end of the day, that's a choice. How much of God's voice that you hear as expressed through Scripture it is directly proportional to how much and how often you decide to pick up that book and read from its pages. Will I read my Bible so that I can then obey the Bible? It's as simple as a yes or a no. That decision is yours. Now, in just a moment you're going to have the opportunity to make uh, another decision. This is a very special and very important decision in and of itself, if you've not already made this decision. And that is the decision to surrender your life to Jesus the Christ in the waters of baptism. You know, if you were to read the Bible, maybe if you were to just pick up in the beginning of the New Testament, and you were to read about that guy Jesus, and you were to read about who he was and what he did and what he came to accomplish, you would understand very quickly that that guy paid a high price for others, for you, for me. He came to this earth to give himself as a sacrifice for our salvation. And as you keep on reading throughout the book of Acts, and then maybe even into the epistles and Romans and in Corinthians and in other places, you'd start to understand and put the pieces together of what a person needs to do in order to receive the salvation that Jesus came to bring. You'd come to find out that it involves believing in Jesus as God's Son that it involves as well confessing Him before others as the Son of God, that it involves a change, a change of life, a change of mind that's called repentance. And yes, it does ultimately culminate in being united in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by being immersed in water. If you're of an age of accountability this morning, and you are at that moment of readiness, then we are singing this song in just a moment to encourage you, living for Jesus, we're encouraging you to make that decision to begin living for Jesus today. If you are a Christian, but your obedience to the Word of God, it has wavered in some way, maybe there is sin in your life, then brother or sister, we are encouraging you to repent. And if we can pray with you, if we can assist you in some way to serve the Lord in a better way from this day forward, then we are encouraging you through the words of this song as well. Whatever your need may be, you simply need to make that known by coming to the front. Do that while we stand and while we sing.